You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. It is our penultimate episode of the year. We caught up with CIO Vince Kellen, so let's get right to it. This is Mark Herzberger, Communications Manager in IT Services. Today, I'm once again joined by our Chief Information Officer, Vince Kellen. Vince, welcome back to the pod. How are you? Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Again, thank you for joining us. Let's jump right in. If you weren't a Chief Information Officer at a big university, what kind of job do you think you would have? Whatever it is, I would not be happy. So maybe I'd be unemployed. The job picks the person. And so as soon as I got into the CIO job, I felt like a duck in water. Um, So does a duck think about how it paddles in the water? No, it just paddles away. So I've been a duck in water. And uh, and so I shudder to think about that one. CIO is is one thing, but what is it in particular CIO, you know, at a big university? Uh, At at a university and a big university, uh, you know, for me, it's always about the maximum complexity and the maximum uh, richness of technology, which this university probably has better than any other university on the planet. It is so rich and thick uh, based upon its complexity of research, uh, education, health, everything. Um, So, uh, you know, so for me, more complexity is is better. And so uh, this is perfect. And in in your love of technology, uh, you seem to have a particular passion for data and analytics. You've written papers and given presentations. Where does that interest stem from? It actually stems from a couple of things. Um, My studio art major, because visual information is information, and the effect of the information on the mind of the consumer of that information was, you know, front and center to an artist. And then as a uh, reporter, newspaper reporter, of course, that's essential. And then all of that translates into analytics. And certainly in the CIO role and in the IT function, the reason they call it information technology is because we deliver information to end users. And uh, we deliver that information so those people can make judgments, inferences, and decisions. So I've been always deeply interested in the interplay between information information presentation, information flow, culture, individuals, both individual and social cognition, and decision-making. So my Twitter account lists my passion, which is where information hits that interplay of individual and social cognition. And I think that's what we're all about. I mean, yes, we have the technical components underneath it, but it's a deeply human concern that we that we address. One of the themes in your writings and presentations is about new rules, as you call them, of data and analytics. What does that mean, these new rules, or what's the gist of them? Well, in data warehousing, you know, we've carried along this mental model since the 80s when both Kimball and Inman wrote about data warehousing. And this notion of sources of data and then, you know, uh, operational data stores and then staging areas and then ETLing from there into schemas, be it star snowflakes or whatever. Uh, And that's been our mental model and it's so ingrained. But the new technologies, especially with the introduction of the cloud, kind of undoes all of that. And I've noticed when I wrote that article, I've noticed for some time the new uh, internet companies didn't 
didn't really have that indoctrinization into data. That doesn't mean they did data analytics better, but it means they came at it from a different angle. So for me, the new rules are, you know, they're kind of simple. Everything's a verb, right? So we've got all this data, but it really represents changes in things. So we say, well, not everything's a verb. A student might be a noun. Well, not really. A student admit is admitted to the university. That's a verb. It happens to come along with a student name. A student may change their name. That's a verb. So everything as a verb is a recognition that the data naturally comes at us in that way. And it also denotes a stream of data or a set of changes of data, which fundamentally alters how we think about the ingestion of data should go. You know, rule number two is one that kind of gives people the most amount of concern, and that's express maximum semantic complexity. It's a fancy way of saying, bring in all the data, whether we think we need it or not. And at least in the activity table, we bring in all the data because we can then unlock all of the semantic possibilities, all of the semantic complexity once the data is in. And this is equivalent to, you know, if you're going to have build a house and you're going to put electric electricity in the house, you want to put all the electrical cables in the wall before you put the drywall up. This is the same thing. We want to bring in all the columns of data before uh, we get too far along because it's a lot cheaper uh, to do it right up front. I think rule number three is also a bit of a um, challenge for folks, build provisionally, because we've built things in data warehousing land and data land as if it has to be forever. And that's not the case in most of our lives. Things change, our, our interests change. And as people interact with data, their knowledge of the data changes. So what they need in, in year one is not what they need in year four. So we can build provisionally. We don't have to pretend everything is going to last forever. This also leads to a design of things that's much more modular, Lego style, where you can reuse building blocks, almost object-oriented like. Uh, thus, we can snap together new views very quickly uh, based on all of the building blocks we've got. I think design for the speed of thought rule number four is one that isn't quite obvious to people. They're like, well, we're not a real-time enterprise. So we really need to have all this real-time data. Well, in some cases we do. 80% of the time, no, we don't. But uh, that 20% of the time, we do need it. But more importantly, the environment has to be fast enough to match the speed of thought for the analyst and the developer. When the developer has a very high-speed environment to work with, they can ask questions of the data right then and there. For example, I was working with Amin Kazi on a particular part uh, of our student activity hub, and we were stuck on, you know, how does Canvas represent this data? Let's go ask Canvas. And I said, no, no, let's go ask the data, because we already received half a billion events from Canvas. It's all going to be there. So we wrote a simple query, and we had the answer in about 10 seconds. So we got our answer at our speed of thought. That enabled us to develop fast. That's really important. Uh, rule number five also gives people fits. Waste is good. What does that mean? Well, we can have copies of things. You know, these environments today are heavily deduped and heavily compressed. So there's really little or no harm in making copies of things. So we can do that ad nauseum. People say that violates normal forms. Well, I'm very familiar with normalization of data and the what we call the update and delete anomalies that ensue. All that can be managed very well, even in what I call a wasteful denormalized environment. And I think rule number six is really the big one. And that's where our entire organization kicks in. And that's called democratize the data. This data doesn't do any good unless it's the hands of people. And if we want the university to run better, perhaps we need to have nothing more than people with better information at their fingertips to help the university run better. So that democratization is just so critical uh, to us as an organization. We need to get the data in the hands of uh, as many people as we can. And how do the, the new rules um, that you mentioned, uh, how are we applying those here at UC San Diego? Our entire activity hub design is the full embodiment of these rules, complete. 
Yeah, for us in IT services, what do we need to get better at? Um, we have all these new systems now, and we're about to get another one in the next couple of years, a student system. And they're all in the cloud, and they're all modern now, or nearly. We might not like all of them, and a couple of them may, may come and go in the years to come. They're all in the cloud, and meaning we're not writing software nearly to the degree we did before. So what are we going to do? Well, it's getting back to the same question, getting more data and information. I'm not going to say data, I'm going to say information and insight into the hands of people. So insight will be increasingly done via advanced analytics, advanced visualization, statistics, machine learning, data mining, alerting, predictive analytics. I'd like to see the end of dashboards. Everybody's says we got to build dashboards, got to build dashboards, because the concept here is I got to have people look at this information, sift through it, and then infer. What's going to happen in the next 10 years is the system will do more of that inference and will alert us to when an inference looks incorrect or looks something like something's out of bounds. And so we are going to be the inventors of a lot of these ways of doing inference and automation for everybody. So process automation, which is analytically driven, inference automation, and then alerting and messaging all around that. So those topics, what's like a use case in a university, the alerting and the inference? Yeah. Yeah, here's a simple use case. Vince, you need to enter your time, and I've actually made some time entry records for you. Can you please review them and see if they're correct? And the system made the time entries for me based on inference, either from my calendar or from other things or things I might have set up to said you could do it this way. And then I can go in quickly and say, yes, 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 yes. As an organization, what should we do more of and what should we do less of? Well, you kind of saw where I was going here in all this. We need to do more of this deeper analytics. That's going to come in the coming years. What do we need to do less of? Anything that gets away from that. Now, how would we get rid of that? Well, it's going to be through automation. So I've asked my senior manager, start thinking about how to automate things we do so that we can do less of them. Uh, whether they be administrative tasks, whether they be workflow tasks, or find ways of making it simpler and easier. I'd love to have a single place where any of my approvals are in a single list. And I could just, you know, whether it be a, a hiring form, a whether it be a remote work authorization form, no matter what it is, a single universal list where I just go bam, 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 right through. I can do it on my mobile phone. I can do it anywhere. That's a form of an automation. A voice activation where I just say, hey, the last six approvals that have come in approve. I've read them all. I hereby certify I've read them all, approve them. Thank you. Um, so voice activation of some of these things would be a great time savers for people. Uh, and then, of course, if we do that to ITS and we get really good at that, then we can begin to apply those solutions in the large everywhere else. Let's reflect on the year that was a little and the year to come from your observations, as well as any discussions you've had with cabinet and other folks. What is your evaluation of fall quarter with students fully back on campus? For Well, 2021 this year has gone really, really well for us regarding COVID. And I'm most proud of how we were able to roll into year two and still hit our stride. Now, I know it's come at a lot of cost of effort and struggle for the staff. And so, you know, kudos to everybody for sticking it out and being a first responder, not just in year one of COVID, but now in year two. So I'm very happy with how we've routinized all of that. And, we've, and I think the campus and university has routinized it. We're now facing Omicron, which our scientists now know enough about. Uh, it is more infectious, so it'll have a faster uh, spread rate. It does create breakthrough infections for those who are vaccinated. So far, those infections appear to be mild, just kind of like the way Delta is today on a breakthrough infection. But it's going to give us another round of 
observation and surveillance. So we're not changing anything at the executive level uh, just yet. And we are watching the science very carefully. It, it's more of we have the tools, let's exercise the tools, and the science will solve it. So I think 2021 went really, really well for the university. And I think it went very well for us outside of our uh, short-term Wi-Fi hiccup that we had. I think rolling into 2022, to me, the number one thing for this unit is get some rest get some normalcy into your schedule, get into a cadence that's sustainable. Some of us have been really hoofing it the last year. And we do have, I won't say a pause, but a bit of a pause because it'll take a little time for student system replacement to ramp up. I know the folks in enrollment management are bringing in new leaders there. That'll take some time to get them onboarded. And so we want to definitely still want to keep making progress. There's areas we can make progress, but I think that's going to give us a bit of a breathing room. And certainly for the rest of campus, wherever we can, let's try to at least take a breath. What are some other organizational goals for IT services 2022 in terms of either, you know, like tech rollouts or tech achievements that we want to try to get completed? 2022 is about growing into all of the systems that were deployed in the last two to three years, which is obviously the quality uh, solutions, contracts and grants compliance, the activity hubs, which are growing uh, very nicely and quickly, Oracle Finance, Ecotime, Concur, Procurement, all those pieces grow into them, support the processes, rapid process improvement, any automation potential. We've already deployed an automation opportunity in the UC Path realm called Dr. Pat and any more cases of that we want to do. So 2022 is really about growing in rapidly and getting the organization absorbing and learning the change. It's been a very significant change in the last three years. Basically, a, for us, 100% terraforming for everything we do. All of our systems change. Mm-hmm in ITS. And for the campus, all of their administrative systems change, which affect maybe not all of their work, but a big chunk of their work. So the terraforming is now, you know, largely behind us. We now have to kind of grow into these very quickly. How has ESR gone in reality compared to what you would have expected, you know, three years ago? I have to put this in the context of the lens of history and the lens of time and the lens of many other institutions. This institution is pretty amazing in what it's been able to do. And this institution has not gone through anything like this in its history because our mainframe computing grows up as computing grows up. Many things were completely manual prior to the mainframe coming in. And then the incremental growth of solutions around the mainframe grew up very, very incrementally, very smallish and periodically over time. So given that lens, we've done remarkably well. ESR is a big success for this institution. And this institution should have pride in that, regardless of any of the difficulty that's out here. We've got you know other institutions which struggle mightily with these systems and still have not gone live with systems multiple years in the running. Let's go back to wi for a second. You, you mentioned it a minute ago. Wi-Fi struggled at the start of the quarter. I think it's stabilized, but what's the current state of Wi-Fi? Oh, uh, stable now. And it's, it has to do with Cisco and some of their architectures. And they recognize that they stepped in in a big way and really helped us uh, with it. Uh, but the good news is we modernized a piece of software, which is some of the authentication components around Wi-Fi and replaced our homebrew software with Cisco's tools. That was a very big deal. Very big deal. And the teams who pulled that off, thank you. Wonderful. Kudos. Not easy. 
huge deal. What happened was that Cisco uh, ran into a bug in some of their access points and they recognized that and they jumped all over it. So I think we're very stable. The bigger issue for Wi-Fi is with the adoption of Canvas and other web tools, we haven't seen any drop-off in that adoption based upon coming back to class. So students are coming back to class, yet their use of these tools is still as high as it was during the height of the pandemic when everybody was remote, which means students are interacting with their class and other materials online from all sorts of places in the university they didn't do it before. So we're finding students sitting in places we didn't expect them. So we've had to quickly deploy more outdoor Wi-Fi and cover certain areas that we didn't anticipate that usage. That also occurred at the same time our undergraduate population increased rather significantly. So we just had more students on campus. We're working with the EVC office to get better coordination on that. And so we're working very collaboratively together to make sure that this is better timed and coordinated going forward. But despite that hiccup, fantastic work by the teams. You know, given how important Wi-Fi is, what's the roadmap of Wi-Fi and, and just making sure that it's always available and always functioning well for the students and staff and faculty? I think the future of Wi-Fi is continuing to monitor that technology and deploy more advances. There's things called passive receivers, which can passively project the Wi-Fi signal in ways that access points don't today. We're looking at those. There's ways of getting our Wi-Fi on the trolley system and our wireless SSIDs, meaning, you know, campus protected or UCSD protected or EduRoam, for example. Um, so getting wireless services and university branding associated with those wireless services across things not just completely on campus is part of our future. I think uh, the continued blanketing of Wi-Fi wherever we can is in the future. And then 5G is here and more will be coming. So there'll be more 5G solutions as things come by. All right, if you don't mind, let's wind it down. Three, you know, personal type questions Some Vince get to know. Uh, what books, magazines, and journals are on your personal reading list? Uh, my personal reading list is, you know, certainly things related to the research and decision-making and cognitive psychology and part of my PhD work. So I continue to read journals and, and articles on that. Another piece is, you know, certainly all my CIO readings that I do, you know, CIO.com uh, as a website and all of that. Uh, personally, these days, I'm reading much more about reconstruction, civil war reconstruction history in Mississippi and the South, mainly because I'm doing some research on an ancestor of ours who fought in the civil war for Mississippi. And people do not realize the living hellhole reconstruction was in parts of the South for everybody. It was a very complex, very distressing time where society was in, you know, uprooted in every dimension you could do it. And uh, we often gloss over and think of it as, in this day and age as sort of, you know, faraway land and, you know, wasn't that bad. No, it was it was pretty ugly, brutal. Rise of the Ku Klux Klan, rise of lynching and the beginnings of the suppression yet again of Black Americans, but also profound disturbance among the white community as well. So it's it's a interesting read. So right now that's kind of front and center in, in my mind. And you said that was sparked from some family history? You said We have a, a great-great-grandfather who um, uh, is unknown. It's a mystery to everybody. Oh, so all the oral history in the family, they know his name and everybody knows the kids and the families know of each other. But uh, anything about his past uh, is kind of hidden. Uh, back back in the present, you know, I think you're known for having a, a green thumb. And I was going to ask you if you have advice for me if I'm out uh, poinsettia shopping or if there's an alternative holiday plant 
that comes to mind besides a Christmas tree? No, just pick what you like. I mean, for poinsettias, you want a poinsettia that isn't, you know, I always look to the, to the stems of the plant. And if they look a little too thin, if you hold the plant up and shake it a little bit, it's, it looks too floppy. Yeah. You really want a, a sturdier plant. It means the growing process wasn't carefully attended to. What we say is a plant got leggy early. And so you want to avoid that. Poinsettias do not like drought. So a little bit of water daily versus a lot of water infrequently uh, is the order of the affairs. When the poinsettia leaves are drooping, it's too late. You really want to kind of never have them droop. You know, green thumb is, well, more time than here that I can go on. I guess, you know, I have two small greenhouses and uh, 50 fruit trees in the orchard. Fruit trees are brand new to me, but I've been learning a lot the last five years. I think the vegetable growing and other things in the greenhouse I've known for a long time since I was a kid. So that's all coming back to me. All right. We covered the reading list. We know about your green thumb. Let, let's wind it down, if you don't mind. What's what's one more kind of personal detail or, or something about Vince Callen that, you know, the, the vast majority of people in IT services wouldn't know that you're willing to share? I, you know, I've been a big fan of classical music from my college days forward, coming out of my art history and the art traditions of the of the Baroque era and beyond, especially the romantic period, the romanticists uh, in music and in art. So that's one thing that I've always, you know, always listened to. So frequently, if I'm driving into campus, I'm listening to a classical station and same thing back. And a big fan of the late classical and early romantic period. And as well as contemporary, uh, there's a lot of, or, or what's called 20th century and contemporary classical music. So I've been a big fan of classical music for a very long time. Cool. Didn't know that. So you answered, answered the question successfully, Vince. Once again, we appreciate you coming on the current podcast. Thank you. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.